This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my kinfolk's way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to speechtherapypd.com and enter the code FIRSTBITE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the one to three hour webinar courses, as well as all the First Byte pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay, well, if you do, you can use that same coupon, First Byte, and access all of the courses on speechtherapypd.com's website for a fabulous deal of $179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon first bite when you check out at the speechtherapypd.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hi, I hope that y'all have been enjoying First Bite as much as I've been enjoying making this and doing all the research behind the scenes. I'd love to uh, meet with y'all live and I have some upcoming lecture tours that you can catch me at. And I just wanted to share a little bit in advance so that way you can get it on your calendars. So on April 5th, 2019, I will be at the Arizona Speech Hearing Association in Phoenix And their conference this year is at the Sheraton Crescent Hotel. And on that Friday, I'll be presenting three lectures all around early intervention and pediatric feeding and swallowing. And the following weekend, I'll be at the Minnesota Speech Hearing Association in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I'll be presenting on Friday and Saturday, April 12th and 13th of 2019. And their conference this year is at the Hyatt Regency. So please be sure to stop by and say hi if you're out in Phoenix and or a week later in Bloomington, Minnesota. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to go from hot to cold in about a week's time frame. But whoop, whoop, I will see y'all in the spring. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. 
I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Colatown, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we're talking all things National Down Syndrome Society and lobbying. Wait, what? What did Michelle just say? Or at least that's what I would say if I was on the listening end. That would be what's running through my mind. Now, you heard me correct. Lobbying and the National Down Syndrome Society. Okay, you're thinking, how does that relate to what I'm doing in early intervention or working with the pediatric population? Well, folks, that's an easy answer. These little ones grow up. I am proud to share that I have a special needs brother-in-law and that sweet man is almost 42 years old. His birthday is kind of a day before mine, so we have a joint birthday cake. Now, to be honest, he does not have Down syndrome. But he does have multiple diagnoses, including autism, flaccid cerebral palsy, a cortical vision impairment, and an intellectual disability. What I have found is that since he entered my life eight and a half years ago, it changed me as a clinician for the better. It shaped me to reframe all of my therapy sessions from a functional ADL or activities of daily living driven mindset as again, These little ones that we treat, they do grow up. Okay, so how does that correlate to lobbying in the National Down Syndrome Society? Well, a few months ago, I had the pleasure of traveling to D.C. to share my live lecture series, and I got to meet my little brother's gal. Now, my little brother ain't so little, as he's well over six feet tall, and he's kind of sort of the reason why I'm an SLP, but that's a fun cleft lip story for another day. So... He showed up to dinner that night with a beautiful jet-lagged, brilliant brunette who had just wrapped a lobbying conference in L.A., and I fell in love with her immediately. This fabulous Miss Nicole Patton was the full package, beautiful and vivacious, despite like one heck of jet lag and a flight home. I would not look like that after I got off of a flight. And she's passionate about the advancement and inclusion of special needs. And she has a laugh loud enough to rival my own. And that's really saying something. And I love that. So like all good things in life, after dinner and a glass or two of mommy juice, (laughs) uh, we, like all professionals who love their careers, kind of started talking work and one thing led to another and I may or may not have like begged her to share the National Down Syndrome Society's current advocacy and lobbying efforts on First Bite, not only to raise awareness, 
but also, and kind of sort of more importantly, to raise people to action. Folks, it's not enough to know about a group and a mission, but you have to get up and get involved to see that mission actually make it to fruition. So on that tiny soapbox note, Nicole, how are you? How's my sweet baby brother? I mean, you know, he's he's still deployed, but you know, how are you? And how uh, did you actually end up being a lobbyist? Because I'm dying to know that. <laughs> yes. Uh, your brother, as far as I'm aware, is doing well. I spoke to him this morning. Um, but can I tell you a funny story about how he told me he got the, uh, the scar above his lip? Because I... You know, okay. I have a feeling, but, you know, I don't want to assume, of course. So I had asked him. I was like, oh, how, you know, how did you get your scar? And he goes, uh, wildebeest. They came ravaged at me. And he, he was, it was like, I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And the, mount, the mountain lions had gotten me. Uh, it was in a story in the local newspaper. And I was like, are, are you kidding? And he goes, no, I'm serious. And we had that conversation <laughs> for a good five minutes because I am so gullible. Uh, that I just, I went with it. I was like, okay, you told me. I was like, oh, great. It would have been much, much better if you had told me earlier on. But whatever. I know you like to play with the fact that I'm going to fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can see Ify Man doing that. Yeah, um, he um, definitely didn't talk till he was four. And he had a cleft of his lip. And he's got the cutest pictures of his repair work. Um, but on a side note, did he ever tell you about the time we duct taped him to the side of the house? No, he did not. Okay, that one happened. The wildebeest did not. The duct tape did. And everybody was like, Michelle duct taped her brother to the house. No, nope. Our other brother duct taped this brother to the house. But we (laughs) kind of sat around and filmed it until we realized he was joking. But anyways, squirrel number one of the day. (laughs) Okay, so how did you get involved in lobbying and specifically the National Down Syndrome Society? Yeah, so... Um, I got started with NDSS back in May of 2017. Uh, At this time, I was working at a state senator's office in Brooklyn, uh, and I was doing mostly, you know, working with constituents, uh, scheduling and legislative stuff, um, legislative aid. I was one of his legislative aides. And I had thought, you know, my passion has always been with disability. My youngest brother uh, is autistic. He's 15. Um, he is the highlight of my whole life. And I, you know, he, I've always wanted to advocate for, uh, individuals with disabilities because, you know, I believe that they're not given their fair shot, um, in the world and in society. So that's, uh, when I had, you know, when I, at that time was looking for, you know, just kind of browsing around, I had thought maybe I want to go to DC, maybe I want to stay in New York. Um, I haven't really decided yet, but I stumbled across an opportunity, um, for the NDSS and they had posted their director of government relations position. And I was like, I'm not really qualified for this, but I'll apply anyway and see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) I love your, yes, got it. Gumption, baby. You have your muchness. Own it. (laughs) I mean, you know, what was the worst that was going to happen? They were going to say, no, you know, you're not qualified for this or I would never hear from them again. So, you know, let's see how that works out. But I had applied and they had reached back out to me and they said, hi, you know, we love your application, um, you know, but we're looking for a little bit more experience with at least our director position. But how about this position of manager of grassroots advocacy? And I said, that also sounds amazing, like, and absolutely something I would love to be a part of. Um, I love, you know, engaging with the community. That was one of my favorite parts about working at my old job was, you know, I sat right front and center 
where all of the in and out of action came, you know, through the state legislator's office. And honestly, they're a lot busier than you would expect, uh, especially in the district that I had worked in. Um, so, you know, it was, that was one of my favorite things to do, um, you know, was talk to them. And, you know, I went to school for political science. Uh, I got my degree in American and urban politics. So, you know, that was right along the lines of everything I kind of wanted to encompass in a position, you know, I kind of got from this manager of grassroots advocacy position. It's the policy, it's, you know, the outreach, it's the the legislation and, you know, everything put together into one. So that it really excited me that, you know, they, you know, they, they wanted me to be a part of that. Um, so that's kind of how I got started there. Um, I don't have a direct relationship to the Down syndrome community. I maybe, uh, you know, now working with a staff that is 25% Down syndrome, um, really hadn't come across a lot of people with Down syndrome in, you know, my lifetime. There's a really high rate of autism on Staten Island. Um, so that was, you know, so that was something I was always kind of involved in um, until, you know, until working at NDSS. So, yeah, <laughs> kind of just rambled on for 15 minutes, but that's fine. <laughs> no, that's okay. In truth, I thought, I mean, maybe it was mommy juice, but I thought your little brother had Down syndrome. But now I remember the rest of the story from that lovely evening. And yes, I am with you. And I, um, it, it makes those of you that have a loved one that has special needs in your life, I have, I have found it makes me fight a little harder, if that's a fair statement. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I totally okay. agree. It's that personal connection behind the issue that you're fighting for that gives you that little extra drive. And I've noticed that a lot with a lot of our advocates uh, at NDSS and our, we call them DS ambassadors, uh, which is the name of our grassroots uh, our grassroots program is called the NDSSDS Ambassador Group, and uh, all of our ambassadors are called DS Ambassadors. And they, you know, they're the ones who kind of facilitate that communication and build those relationships with members. Um, and but a lot of them are moms, you know, dads, siblings, you know, maybe aunts, uncles, you know, grandparents who want to get involved, uh, but have that direct relationship, and it definitely lights the fire for them because of that personal touch that comes with, uh, you know, being, being involved with advocacy. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I have a million questions for you. So we're, I mean, technically it's only four, but it feels like a million because my mind is racing. So if you're ready, we're going to get started. All right. So what are the current legislative agendas for the National Down Syndrome Society as it pertains to early intervention or access to home-based services for like our medically fragile students. And I'm, I'm including speech therapy here, but it could be for, you know, overlap with other services. Yeah. Um, so currently, you know, we, our ultimate goal at NDSS2 is to make sure that home and community-based services are an option all across the United States. Uh, we believe that it's vital, you know, to the well-being and, you know, the life of a person, you know, and people with Down syndrome, that they have access to those vital benefits that will, you know, really push them forward to having the most, you know, the most fulfilling life while still being able to work and have, um, you know, benefits such as SSI and Medicaid. Um, you know, Medicaid, uh, I'm you know, Medicaid is one way to pay for services such as speech language pathology, um, speech therapy, and uh, OT and PT. Uh, so one of the things that we're looking to advance is uh, the Advancing Care for Exceptional Kids Act. Um, and that is, uh, it'll address some obstacles in regards to state-based Medicaid programs. Uh, 
Okay, what is this thing called? Say this again. The, it's called the the Advancing Care for Exceptional Kids, uh, abbreviated to ACE Kids Act. I've never heard of this. What is this? Yes. So, um, you, you know, according to NIH, uh, at least one half of all children with Down syndrome have some kind of a co-occurring condition. Um, you know, leukemia, congenital heart disease. Uh, sleep apnea, seizure disorders, thyroid issues, you know, et cetera. Celiacs is another one uh, that we'll probably be talking about a little bit later. Um, and because of these complex medical conditions, you know, it becomes really costly for um, families to be able to access that um, that specialized care that they need. Uh, and sometimes the best option for those families is to get those, you know, uh, to get those services out of state. Um, and because of but because of current Medicaid rules, it could it could limit their coordinated um, care options. So, uh, what the ACE would plan to do, it, the the ACE Kids Act would plan to do, um, is make those options available for individuals uh, individuals with Down syndrome and other intellectual developmental disabilities, so they can get the they can use their Medicaid waiver uh, in other states. Uh, Oh my God. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, let me, let me, let me fix that. I can hear my six-year-old now. Oh my gosh. Be respectful, mommy. Um, that would change so many kids stars. I, you just rattled off a couple kids on my caseload that I would love nothing more than to send to chop or to, um, Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And I insurance doesn't, isn't accepted. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what's so hard too is with families is that, you know, they're, you know, they have, they'll have maybe their primary insurance or they'll have their secondary insurance, uh, which is Medicaid, but not all of the times like their insurance or is going to be able to cover it or um, Medicaid may not be able to cover it. Or if they, you know, they need to go and get that care, you know, that specialized care, you know, let's say you are in South Carolina, but there is a, you know, a congenital heart. I, I'm just you know, I'm saying a hypothetical, but, but there's a, in North Carolina, there's a, um, congenital heart specialist that would, could really, you know, really help this condition. Like you, the family would have to pay for all those costs out of pocket, uh, because their, their insurance probably won't cover it and neither will, um, Medicaid. Okay. So where does this bill sit? Where are we in this process? So we were so, so close and we are so, so disappointed because in the last Congress, we were at that kind of final push, but it just, uh, and it passed overwhelmingly in the House. It was like 400, to, uh, 400 guest votes and 11 nay votes. So we were super close. And then it just didn't get enough votes in the Senate for it to go to the floor. Um, and we were, you know, we were really disheartened by it. But we hear word on Capitol Hill that it's going to be reintroduced sometime very soon as of today when we're recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. So when, so yes, we, this will, hmm, I want updates. Please keep me updated. Yes, of course. Of course I will. (laughs) And if this comes to fruition, did you guys have like a date tied with it? Like I know some of the bills that like we've worked at our state level, we have like a, a go date of like January 1, 2020. Do y'all have a, a, a preliminary start date tied to it or is that yet to be determined? Um, it depends on if they're going to keep the exact language of the bill um, as it was in last Congress, as it will be in this Congress. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. All right. Well, then, well, then that will most definitely fight for our tiny humans. And I would be so grateful for that to pass because I would love for my kids to have second opinions. I mean, mm, okay. 
All right. I like this. Good fight. Yay. Well done, you. All right. So the next one. In light of the increase in dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism spectrum disorders, does the National Down Syndrome Society support the use of speech therapy and ABA services? All right. So there, you get a fair warning shot here because this is kind of a trigger question amongst um, the world of speech pathologists because we honestly regularly struggle with the scope of practice encroachment with ABA therapists into speech therapy scope. And um, I will say this, and I hear everybody like getting their rotten tomatoes ready now. I humbly and strongly feel that both services are needed and that we should do co-treatments together. And I understand everybody that just nodded their head and had all of that commotion go through their brain. When it's done right, the SLPs and ABA therapists working together can make beautiful things happen. But I am well aware that it doesn't always happen that way. So on that note, do y'all in the National Down Syndrome Society have current numbers on the prevalence of Down syndrome and autism spectrum disorders as a dual diagnosis? Yeah. So I think the current number of um, dual diagnoses with Down syndrome and ASD is about 5 to 10%. And, you know, children with Down syndrome have displayed those maladaptive behaviors, elopement, task refusal, and attentiveness, and obsessive compulsive routines. Self-injurious behaviors. I see that a lot when as like the first red flag, like the head hitting. And um, I have one little one who's um, very aggressive on his tiny man parts. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad I don't have that problem anymore. In my previous life uh, before DC, I worked at a day a day hab for adults with autism and there was definitely lots of aggressive behaviors like that so you know i personally as somebody who had given aba therapy see the positives in it as well um but ndss we believe that families should work on building a team of healthcare professionals and therapists um and educators who are interested in promoting the child's best possible outcomes Best possible outcomes from a team. See, it's not an us or a them in the line. It's a team. Sorry, squirrel. I got excited. No, no, no. no. It's totally fine. But yeah, you know, and that's, you know, that's up to the, that's the family's, you know, best, whatever the family believes is going to be the best practices for them, you know, and making sure that whatever approach that they take uh, should be backed by research um, and science as well. You work in DC. I'm just wondering how much actual science versus pseudoscience is floating around um, those corridors right now. But that's a conversation for a different podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Mm. We'll that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have to say, I'm surprised. I really thought the um, prevalence was higher than that. So, um, because, you know, I, I, I have a couple of kiddos on my caseload, and uh, I feel like I saw somewhere it was you know, 10 to as high as 25%, but I can't place that. But um, 5 to 10%, absolutely. And I should have asked you about the prevalence of um, individuals with Down syndrome and apraxia, but that slipped my mind because I was focused on autism. So, hmm, next time, next time. This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. 
The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise. That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course, The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. Okay. All right. Now, I got a case and you and I have um kind of sort of sort of started the volleying on this one. All right. So, let me ask the question, give the story and then come back to the question, okay? So, um my next question's moving into the area of celiac and this is one that's um, near and dear to my heart. I have a little kiddo. I've had the pleasure of working with a family for the last year. And um, this little one has Down syndrome. She had congenital heart defect, uh, laryngomalacia. She's had hypertrophy of her adenoids. She also has Hirschsprung's disease. Uh, folks, if you're not familiar with Hirschsprung's disease, Hirschsprung's disease is where theoretically the last 2 to 5% of your large intestines is not innervated. Now, I have seen that impact as far up that it goes into the small intestines. And the surgical procedure for um, to address it, it's called a pull-through. So what they do is they cut out and they remove the part of the large intestines. And if it goes that high up into the small intestines, they cut out the part that's missing the innervation because it prevents the child from stooling. And then they pull the healthy tissue down and they have to recreate for lack of a better phrase, they have to recreate a sphincter and like a colon. Most of these children temporarily, some of them permanently have to have um, colostomy bags. And so it's, it's a pretty invasive surgery. And this cute little bitty booger, but she had um, her sprunks and had the pull through and the procedures. And I started working with her um, after she moved to South Carolina and she had all these PO refusals. She didn't want to eat. She was throwing her food and um, she'd had a lot of what I like to refer to as chewy tube therapy, where they place the Z vibes and the plastic chewies in their mouth to try to get them to chew. And I was like, this, this is going to go nowhere because this is something else. And she was also having a lot of vomiting with food. So on one of our hospital stays, I said, all right, mama, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask them for a biopsy because we had, I had requested through pediatrician and the pediatrician was in disagreement. Um, I honestly thought the kid had EOE. I did not think it was going to come back um, as anything other than EOE, eosinophilic esophagitis. And sure enough, that biopsy came back and the baby had celiac disease. And all the food she was refusing to eat had gluten in it. So she would take the food and she was chucking it because she didn't have the vocabulary either via verbal or the combination with sign to convey her emotions around the food because she was, I mean, she's still, you know, two. 
And it's still, we're still in amassing functional language at the stage of the game. So we went gluten-free, family went gluten-free, and she started rapid fire healing and wanting to eat, which was all fine and dandy, except the family's income for most of their grocery bills are provided by SNAP benefits. And so mom ran into a predicament where SNAP benefits do not cover um, gluten-free foods. So I took it to our state association and said, hey, we've got this problem. This isn't the only child with feeding therapy and oral pharyngeal dysphagia um, that has celiac disease. How can we fight in the state of South Carolina to have gluten-free foods added to SNAP benefits? So our lobbyist, who's amazing, also has like all the pretty clothes. She looks like uh, she walked off a runway like every single day of the week. So you lobbyist in your amazing wardrobes. Um, she uh, she ran it as far up as she could here in South Carolina to lo and behold find out that um, this was this was an issue at the federal level. And we hit a glitch. So that's when I reached out to you. But it started before we could go into like the resolution, we had the problem where, okay, so what's the prevalence of celiac disease and Hirschsprung's disease in children that have Down syndrome? That's a lot. <laughs> the, the first thing I wanted to notice too about the lobbyist thing was um, me, I'm not the most fashionable, but our president and CEO, how that's been doing, Sarah Hart, where her name is, um, that has been doing this for eons is honestly one of the most fashionable people I've ever ever met like i i don't know how she always she's running a mile a minute um all the time and she looks fabulous doing it every time i it's amazing <laughs> yeah 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 i know it's it's something to do with it honey i've seen the pictures of y'all's gala you've got <laughs> oh, it Rocket don't flatter me it. don't flatter me <sighs> I whipped my hair you couldn't tell via recording but that's what i just did <laughs> I love it. I love it. We'll have to make sure that he leaves the hair flippage in there. Yes. Oh, God. Back to your question. Celiac disease, for I guess those who don't know, is when the body is unable to properly digest barley, rye, and wheat. Um, so that will damage uh, the lining of the intestines and uh, prevent the absorption of nutrition. Uh, certain nutrients, I should say. We believe we have uh, the numbers uh, up to 16% of individuals with Down syndrome are believed to have celiacs because it is really high amongst people with Down syndrome. You know, we recommend that, you know, all infants between the ages of two and three be screened for celiac. So I had no idea about that. Hmm? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. You recommend there's a, there's a practice policy on this. <laughs> this is the uh, recommendation uh, as per our science and clinical advisory board who has done all of the research on this. And that's what they, you know, that's what they believe is that everybody should, between the ages of two and three, get that simple, it's a simple blood test to screen for celiac. So, you know, I hope that families are doing that, you know, if they have a child that has Down syndrome. So that way, if you catch, you know, as with early intervention, if you catch it early on, you know, you can prevent a lot of you know, damage in the future. Yeah. That's crazy. I had no idea that that was a practice policy or a guideline or a recommendation or whatever the technical term is. Okay. We got to do a better job about getting the word out on that one down here in the South. So my brain's firing on that one. Okay. <laughs> do you have anything on Hirschsprung's disease? Yes. So with regards to Hirschsprung's disease, 
I think the estimate right now between two to 15% of infants with Down syndrome and, you know, that can cause part of their large intestine to not function properly. All right. So to tie this into the world of early intervention, folks, um, you would assume that children that have Down syndrome would, um, and babies in general, would be asked to make sure that they poop before they go home from the hospital. But let's look at the families that we treat Monday through Friday. A lot of these families have multiple other children and moms are stressed. Sometimes they're single parents and they've got to get home to take care of those kids. So if you've ever had surgery and or given birth, the nurse comes in and says, did you have a bowel movement? And, you know, I distinctly remember one time saying best bowel movement ever, greatest poop ever. Now, can I go home? Because they need to know that you pooped. It's like, it's like the last check on a mystery box before you get out of the hospital, right? And constipation tends to run hand in hand with our little ones that have Down syndrome, whether it's driven by hypothyroidism, um, the hypotonia, delayed gastric emptying, delayed GI motility, all of the GERD medicines that they're on that can cause constipation and or the sugar-based formulas that these kiddos are taking that can also cause constipation. So stooling is a problem. So a lot of these kiddos don't get the diagnosis of Hirschsprungs right away. It can be several weeks to several months that these children are having all of these negative associations with food because we're babies are smart. What goes in must come out. And over time, as they start backing up and having to have more suppositories or rectal stimulations or dilations or whatever medications they're put on to have a bowel movement, they associate that with what's going in their mouth. And you're laying the groundwork for PO refusals and odinophagia or dinophagia painful to swallow because it, they're fighting, it's aggressive. All of these things are correlated back to the katukas, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I feel really strongly on this because there's, there, there's so much going on. Okay. All right. So we got our numbers. We got our data. You guys have a position statement or best practice guidelines that all children between two and three should be screened for celiac. So what, what do we do about our sweet babies getting gluten-free foods on like a national level? Honestly, it, it's, discriminat- it's a discriminatory practice for them not to be able to you know, get the foods that they need uh, because of how high and prevalent um, celiacs is. It's not you know, that fun, uh, trendy diet phase. You know, this affects people's diet and life and their nutrition. And you can't expect a family who, you know, can't, doesn't have the means to be able to just. No, it's, it's super frustrating because that's the feed that was almost verbatim. The feedback that we got here at the state, they were like, what a fad diet, the gluten-free foods. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not a fad diet. This is a, the patient has celiac disease. It's an autoimmune issue. And if the child eats food with gluten in it, she has adverse reactions and it's, it's a health condition. And that was our, um, that was our, our problem. Um, but it's raising awareness because folks think it's, it's, it's up there with, um, the keto diet. People think if they go on the ketogenic diet, they're going to lose all this weight. The ketogenic diet was founded for seizure management. So when anybody tells me that they're an adult, they're like, yeah, I'm doing the keto diet. I was like, so how are your seizures being managed right now? And they're like looking at me like I'm speaking Greek. And I'm like, honey, you, you and I think that that's, you know, there's there's a misfire. <laughs> but Okay. Yes. So if folks have a little one that has Down syndrome and also has celiac disease on their caseload, 
how can they, and if they get SNAP benefits, how can they, how do they proceed? How can they help this? So my recommendation would be filing a complaint, um, especially because, you know, we, we want to be able to change this at the national level and, you know, we're going to be working towards doing that. Uh, but I would recommend filing a complaint with whatever the agency is in the state because they all have really funky names um, <laughs> that handles, you know, SNAP benefits, uh, you know, and filing a complaint uh, with the Department of Agriculture as well uh, because they we need to be able to make sure that these individuals, you know, people with Down syndrome get the food that they're able to eat and, and a discriminatory practice that prevents them from being able to get gluten-free foods that they so desperately Perfect. need. Okay, so there it is, folks. File a complaint with the Department of Agriculture. Um, at our state level, we filed a complaint. Oh, our lobbyists took it up to, I think it was, um, wasn't DDSN. I'm trying to think. It'll, it'll come to me about three o'clock tomorrow morning who we filed the complaint with, but it's whoever's in charge of issuing the SNAP benefits. Whoever signs that checkoff in your, uh, state, that's who you need to lodge complaints with. Also take it to your state associations. All right. You want to take it to your state speech pathology association, your state, um, uh, your, if you're an OT, your state occupational therapy association, get them involved. Uh, something else that we, uh, had come up, um, and something that you had recommended to me in an email, uh, was reaching out to the and I didn't know this, there's local chapters for the Down Syndrome Society. Yeah. So we, um, NDSS has over 375 affiliates internationally. You know, we work with those local groups. We provide them with resources um, and, you know, materials that they would need. A lot of these uh, local folks, you, you know, kind of know more so of what's available within you know, everybody's state. So I focus a lot on the national level of, you know, advocacy and public policy, but I also do a lot of state work as, you know, a state policy as well. Uh, but sometimes it's just the federal government in and of itself is just so much. So, you know, we really rely on the, you know, the local communities to, you know, be a part of um, our advocacy efforts. I don't know if anybody out there reading um, or listening her read the new article about the ASHA president. Our ASHA president, because her uh, she just came into her position, uh, she wrote an article and she called all of us to action. She said, you know, hey, from a speech pathology perspective, ASHA can issue a practice statement. This is what we should be doing and or this is a new certificate or we're working on like interstate compact at the, this level. But it's the state level that changes it. And this is one of those things where this is a federal law, but the states can drive the change, kind of, I guess, beating of the drums to actually hold our legislators accountable for wanting to change that federal policy. So it works in reverse. It's not top down. This time it's bottom up. So bottoms up. Correct. Yeah. And that's, oh, no, but that's the weird thing too is, um, you know, even so with regards to, you know, that, that whole idea of federal policies and um, federal policies and making sure that they're enforced at the state level, you know, it's uh, an ADA violation to discriminate against somebody. And I want to bring this up, too, because it was my colleague uh, Charlotte's uh, seventh heart 
anniversary, we call it, of her heart transplant because uh, she had yes. a heart abnorma- uh, abnormality <laughs> when she was young, uh, when she was a baby. So we just celebrated her seventh anniversary of her heart transplant. Uh, so we have, um, you know, there's a practice, you know, with the ADA, you can't discriminate against individuals because of their disability on receiving, you know, healthcare. Um, we're seeing that a family, most recently, the Wellman family, who also just celebrated their one-year anniversary of uh, James's kidney transplant, uh, James was denied a kidney transplant because his IQ was too low. What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that wasn't something I was aware of prior to my work at DSS either, that people are being discriminated against because of their IQ being too low. You know, every, you know, everybody deserves a life-saving transplant, you know, <laughs> I just don't understand how that's a, you know, that's a, a thing, but it is. And even with a federal law such as the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is one of the most, you know, significant pieces of legislation for people with disabilities in the last 50 years, um, you know, it, you know, people aren't getting the life-saving organs that they need because of their IQ. And I, we think that's absolutely ridiculous. Another discriminatory practice we're trying to get rid of you know, is that. That's, that's, that's horrible. And my heart hurts for them. I mean, not, you you know what I mean? We're talking about hearts and kidneys, but like, I had no idea. Every, every human has the right to experience joy to the fullest. That's, that's okay. That's why there's folks like us out there that are um, fighters. So calling all fighters. <laughs> like, call- Here's your call to action. Please come help. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, man. Oh, man. That 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 poor brother. Though, that poor family. Honey, my whole family is women filled like this. And we have very strong husbands and opinionated children. Uh, yeah. Um, Samantha Ann? Wendy? To say the least. To say the least. I know. I'm thinking of my uh, six-year-old niece, Samantha. At the end, man, she's gonna that she'll be first woman president, I do believe, and she'll ninja tap you if she doesn't get a vote. <laughs> okay, all right. So my my last question, um, because I have to be respectful of our time, and I want to make sure that we, um, okay, we we're, we're not too far off on time. Um, all right. So my last question: What are the general initiatives that the National Down Syndrome Society is lobbying for at a national level for individuals with Down syndrome? Like, I mean, what, what are the general ones? And then after we go through them, what can we do? What can the practitioners that are listening do? Yes. So uh, currently we are, our overall mission um, at NDSS, uh, specifically our advocacy and public policy center is to end law syndrome. Um, and I know everybody's like, what's law syndrome? You know, what? <laughs> Never even heard um, I thought you misspoke there for a second. <laughs> but Oh, oh no, 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 no. So we, you know, we believe uh, at NDSS that people with Down syndrome aren't, you know, held back by their disability, but rather they're held back by these archaic and outdated laws, you know, that prevent them from being able to be fully included in society without the risk of losing, you know, vital government benefits such as SSI and Medicaid. So, yeah. So, you know, NDSS was one of the leading organizations, you know, who really led the effort on passing the ABLE Act, the Achieving a Better Life Experience Act, uh, which would allow individuals with disabilities to be able to save um, money in a savings, a tax-free savings account uh, without that money going towards 
their benefits. Um, so this, you know, that is something, you know, we continue to want to advocate and spread awareness about as ABLE accounts. Came up in South Carolina. There was some change down here to the ABLE ca- accounts down here because, you know, we're going to have, we just signed the paperwork from my brother-in-law. So when the time's right, he'll come to us. Um, but that, that changes what we can save the total volume that we can save. It was increased drastically, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. And that was a federal policy uh, that we worked on as well, which is the able to work act. So if you're working, um, if you're, if you're a person with a disability who has an able account, an able account and you're working, you can now save up to the federal poverty line. In addition to the $15,000 that, is the annual gift limit. So I think the federal poverty line is somewhere between 1260 and like 12140 because there are multiple uh, poverty lines. Uh, you know, the p- federal poverty line, I think in Alaska is higher than it is, you know, let's say in New York or in South Carolina, as it is in, I think, I believe in Hawaii too, it's uh, higher. So yeah, that was a federal law that we uh, we worked, you know, really tirelessly on uh, to get passed, and that was included in the tax reform bill last last year, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So so that you know now you can save up to about twenty seven thousand dollars a year in an able account, um, and that money is not going to go towards you know having assets um, unless you you know so drastically go above that fifteen thousand uh, dollar plus $12,000 limit or the lifetime limit uh, varies over states. So some ABLE accounts have a a lifetime limit of $100,000 or uh, some of them are within $300,000. So as long as you're not going above those limitations, you are able to save that money. And that is, you know, money to, you know, for transportation to your job. That's money towards an apartment that's money towards, you know, that independence that people with Down syndrome and developmental disabilities really, really, really want, but they can't have because of these laws. Um, Another initiative that we're working on to eliminate is subminimum wage. So people with with Down syndrome and other developmental disabilities can legally be paid a wage less than the federal minimum wage. And We've seen these wages be sometimes as low as three pennies, pennies on the dollar, three cents, 30 cents an hour for doing work that, you know, people will do anyway. People do anyway, like that has to be done. And yet they're getting paid 30 cents an hour. You know, the only other population on earth who gets paid like that low is prisoners. (laughs) Yeah, third world countries. I mean, we're not a third world country. This is America, you know. (laughs) They're doing real work and they should be getting real wages for that work. Um, so, you know, there was a bill last Congress that we supported called the Time Act, which was the uh, the Transitioning to Integrated and Meaningful Employment Act. Um, unfortunately, the main sponsor of the bill, Greg Harper, he has since retired from Congress. Uh, so we're currently working with other legislators, uh, other members of the House and Senate to, you know, reintroduce a bill to eliminate subminimum wage uh, so that providers who do apply for those certificates, um, sorry, I should also explain that too. People, the reason why they're able to pay uh, people with disabilities subminimum wages is because of uh, the 1938 Fair Labor Standards Act. Um Section 14C of the Fair Labor Standards Act says that employers can obtain a certificate from the Department of Labor uh, to pay people with disabilities uh, subminimum wage. 
And was that actually from 1938? From 1938. Yeah. About time that that got addressed then. A lot has changed in America since 1938. This is what should be fixed. Yeah, I would hope so. And I mean, like, you know, this is the thing, too, that we're trying to say is like, you know, how can a law from 1938 still be in practice? It's crazy. There's a law in South Carolina that's still on the books that on the first Sunday of every month, you take a one inch switch to your wife on the state (laughs) and beat her. Should you please so? And it's still a law. <clears throat> Not that the uh, domestic abuse survivor that's on this side of the podcast is a little upset about that one, but you know, it's okay. It's it's still there, baby. I, I yeah, I mean, time is yours. <clears throat> you almost you almost have to laugh to kind of get through a lot of these a lot of these things that you know I hear about or you know just stuff going on. I just need a you need to laugh about it because it's. Yeah, there's no other way. There's just unless you know you join the good fight and you know come and be a part of uh, the the movement. <laughs> yes, there it is us and our. <laughs> and there's there's a there's a lot of people on this podcast enjoying our um the uh, call to actions and yeah poster boards poster boards and glitter glues I am your friend. <laughs> right, aside from poster boards and glitter glues, okay. So this thing's from 1938. You're working to get that one repealed and. And you're still trying, are you working on still getting a sponsor for this bill? So that is, we are working with representatives there. There's talks of a bill, you know, planning to be introduced soon. Uh, The details are to come uh, about that though. So, you know, we're still, we always want to find comb, you know, fine tooth comb everything that, you know, we support. So, you know, uh, I believe that a bill is going to be introduced relatively soon on addressing step minimum wage. Um, but we're, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the language yet looks like. So stay tuned on that. Stay tuned. Absolutely. Okay. Are, Are there any other exciting tidbits that we're advocating for? Other legislation we're working on too is addressing marriage penalty. Um, so currently when you get married, uh, you have, I mean, I'm, I'm not married, so I don't really know. Uh, but apparently, so I've heard that when you get married, uh, your incomes become combined, um, which could then put you in a different tax bracket, which means that, uh, for people who have Down syndrome and other disabilities, when they get married and their incomes become combined, uh, they now are at risk of, again, jeopardizing benefits, um, so we're working on legislation that's going to address that marriage penalty uh, for people with Down syndrome and other intellectual and developmental disabilities. Does that legislation have a name yet? Not yet. It's in the works, um, and it's going to be introduced relatively soon. We just got um, we just got sponsors on the bill very recently. Um, so they they're going to be introducing it uh, soon. Sure. Oh my gosh, this is, I can hear the joy in your voice. Okay. All right. I just have to ask, is there one piece of legislation since you've been there that just stands out and you're just like so proud that this has come to fruition? Is there something that just like, you're like, yeah, we did it? Um, oh gosh. So, so one bill that recently, the reason why this one particularly comes to mind is because I was, uh, I was given a small shout out on the House of uh, the House of Representatives for when this bill, you know, and I worked with, you know, my esteemed colleagues, um, you know, 
Ashley and Vince and Sarah, you know, Sarah's the CEO, Vince is our uh, public policy advisor, and Ashley is our director of government relations. Um, you know, we, you know, we worked and got this bill uh, through the House, and it recently became law um, right before Congress ended last session. Um, and the main the main sponsor on that bill was uh, Gus Bilirakis. It, it addresses uh, congenital heart defects, so it's the Futures of Congenital Heart Reauthorization Act. Um, so just it, that bill is going to you know promote uh, provide funding to spread awareness and uh, promote research on congenital heart disease. Oh, that's awesome! Oh, honey, I saw I was totally watching all your Instagram posts and was just like, yes, yes, baby girl, yes, and so. I just love your joy in it. Okay. Because I have to be conscientious of our time, first and foremost, Nicole, thank you. I mean, not just of for course. dating your brother, but also <laughs> coming on the podcast today. And I mean, seriously, the work that you guys are doing are going to, the patients that we treat are going to benefit from it. And I am, I am grateful because I know what it's like to have a good righteous fight and it's wearisome on the body, but to know that you're not alone and that there's others out there that are doing this and fighting for good. Thank you. So to, and to all the people that are there that do it with you, I mean, if you were local, I'd bake chocolate chip cookies, but you're not. So I'm sending you happy fuzzy thoughts through the internet. (laughs) Well, if you're in DC again, you know, feel free to drop by anytime that you want. So (laughs) the door is always open. And you have to take me to that throwing axe place because that was awesome. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Cracking axes is apparently they just opened up a spot up to two and a half blocks from here from our office. So I am cannot wait to go do that again. <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking y'all get that marriage bill passed and that one on um, celiac fixed. And then um, I will travel up there and throw an ax and, and buy a round. So. <laughs> Yay. Working on it. We are, we're handling it. <laughs> done. Uh, okay. So just thank you so much. And um, again, if somebody out there has been inspired where do you recommend if they want if they're inspired and they want to support National Down Syndrome Society? Where do you recommend that they reach out to to, to start on that adventure? So you can reach out to us at policy at ndss.org. Uh, that is, you know, our you know our general policy inbox. You know, we run our grassroots program. So if you guys are interested in being a part of that movement, you know, email us. Um, I will probably be the one to reach out to you. So, you know, any, if anybody wants to get involved, like do not hesitate to reach out, um, visit our website, uh, ndss.org. Uh, we have tons and tons of information there. Um, come to our buddy walk on Washington, which is our annual Hill day. Uh, we do a federal advocacy training. Uh, we're going to probably bring back the state advocacy training stuff next year. Uh, so if you guys want to get a background on, uh, DC, from uh, the first registered lobbyist, Kayla McKean, with Down Syndrome, um, you know, come out to DC and uh, you know, come join us. It's one. It's my favorite day of the year, probably. Honestly, that's <laughs> yes, that's um, we have a couple of different advocacy days down here, and we have um, Special Needs Advocacy Day. And this year, they moved it up to March, and I am so excited because it's it's a blast. Oh God, it, it's. Yeah. You know, who would have thought that, you know, lobbying would be so much fun? 
honestly. Um, I I got to tell you, I had a panic attack my last semester of undergrad and was like, I think I should be a lawyer. And my daddy told me flat out, baby girl, you are meant to be a speech pathologist. And then I got into it and I realized, hey, we can still be advocates as speech pathologist. And and yeah, and it's cool because we're doing it. <laughs> Nicole, thank you. Oh. Thank you so much for all y'all's work and for staying late in your office oh. so that we we could share this. But seriously, keep up the good work and thank you. Michelle, right. for you, anything. Um, thank you Yay! for having me. Um, I'm so happy that I was able to, you know, kind of chat with you about everything that we're doing at NDSS. Yeah. We're, you're making the world better, dude. So. Trying. Trying. One day at a time. Cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hold tight. I'm going to switch lines, okay? Okay. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember... Feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.